We have certainly been blessed this week, haven't we? I was so glad. Thank you, our audiovisual department. I went to the website and I saw all the messages there. I'm going to take the time this week to go through each one of them. I was so appreciative. Sometimes we could hear and miss and hear and miss. And I'm going to go back through those messages to hear what I may have missed. But God is saying he has an army of young men, of middle-aged men, of young women, of middle-aged women, of teenagers, of little children. As we develop these gifts in their lives, the fruit of God's grace will be reflected through them. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads with me as I go to the Lord this morning in prayer, asking for God's grace to guide in the message. But before we do that today, just reminded myself, we had this special part of our program every evening, and we're going to have that right here. That special feature of scripture songs. And I believe this morning Danielle is going to be sharing us a scripture song from Proverbs 15, verse 1. We've learned ways of remembering those songs, committing them to memory through music. So Danielle, let's go ahead and learn another one. Proverbs 15, verse 1. Share us this morning. I'll play it through once, and then the second time, if you would join me, that would be wonderful. Soft answer turneth away round, but so grievous words stirs up anger. A
Thank you, Danielle. Thank you all. And if you want to remember those songs, just go to those videos at our church website, tvsdac.org, and look for them at the beginning of, I believe, at the beginning of each of the sermons. Not exactly sure. But if you're here live, you'll get a chance to uh, learn them and know them. Thank you for that. And um, but right now, bow your heads with me as we go to the message, The Unfinished Parable. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you that this story reminds us that you are not done with us yet. You promised what you begin, you will complete. But help us to submit that when your work is done, we will be amazingly amazed at what you have done in the hearts and lives of those who simply submit themselves to the molding influence of your Holy Spirit. Now speak to us, Lord, that your purpose will be continued in us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The unfinished parable. The unfinished parable. You know, this series was born on the heels of a personal assessment of my life. I had a chance to sit down and look at myself in a spiritual way. And I came to the conclusion that I am absolutely unable to produce any good fruit in my own life. I've been preaching here for, wow, since 2003 and as a pastor I get frustrated sometimes and I say to myself why don't they why don't they why don't they and the Lord turned the mirror around on me and said why don't you and this series was born giving some of the history of it after my vocal injury back in 2009 I had this deep throbbing in my heart that my ministry was over that my music ministry would never be the same again. And then God revealed to me that, to him, gifts are not the same as fruit. And it took me a while to lean my head to the side, kind of like the spiritual dog whistle, what do you mean gifts are not the same as fruit? And then he pulled back and opened up the lens and showed me the Christian world. We live at a time when gifts are praised and admired. We admire people for gifts that they possess and gifts they exercise, whether singing gifts or speaking gifts or teaching gifts, and we applaud what they are able to do. And the Lord reminded me that salvation is not obtained by the unblemished gift of singing but by the sacred, untarnished gift of the fruit of the Spirit. So we said, people may be able to preach well and sing well, but that's not 
the evidence of their salvation, the evidence that they are in a saving relationship is by the fruit that show up in their lives. And for 13 years, I was wondering with this injury how to develop a new singing voice, how to take this crippled voice and make it something better than it had become after the injury. And then the epiphany hit. For 13 years, I was trying to develop a new singing voice. But the Lord said to me, for 13 years, I've been trying to develop fruit instead. So today, I want to just encourage you to come with me that instead of looking for outward affirmation, God wants us to look for inward confirmation. What do I mean by outward affirmation? People will applaud and say, that was phenomenal, that was great, but we are able to do things that may cause people to applaud and to, to praise us. But the Lord said to me, do not look any longer for outward affirmation, but look for inward confirmation. And I asked myself the question, are the fruit of the Spirit showing up in my life? And so we'll get to the scripture for the week, but the first scripture that the Lord brought me to was 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. This was the scripture that I was reading in a devotional that paused me in my tracks to say to me, don't look for outward affirmation, look for inward confirmation. And here are the words of the Apostle Paul. Notice what he says to us, and I'd like you to zero in and don't allow the benches to become St. Mattress Cathedral. Pay attention to what God has in store for you today. Notice what he doesn't want. Notice what the enemy doesn't want you to hear. Look at the first two words. Say them with me. Are you ready? Examine yourself. Let's say that one more time. Examine yourself. That's that mirror, that spiritual mirror that God is turning in on us. And my wife and I have been through this journey of examining ourselves, looking at ourselves. It is so easy to look at other people and call out what they have or what they don't have, but I'm not going to be saved or lost based on what you have or what you don't have. I'm going to be saved or lost based on what I don't have. The Apostle Paul says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the what? Faith. And then the next two words, say that together with me, test yourselves. Notice, it seems urgent. Examine yourself. Test yourself. And then he brings the question to us. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? You see, the Lord showed me, and I as a musician, as a singer, I have such a library of music. And when I'm driving in my car, I listen to different songs, and truly they bring me in so many ways into the presence of God. And I, sometimes I tear up as I listen to songs that move my heart. And I was involved in traveling around the world with the heritage singers singing songs and became so aware of some of the favorite groups that we talk about, some of you, we talk about groups that are in the Christian world and the great praise choirs and the praise bands and the good music. But, but I was reminded that Jesus may be praised through our gifts but he is revealed through our fruits. Praised through our gifts, but he's only revealed through our fruits. 
And we sometimes seek to accomplish our work by the gifts of the Spirit. But God will only accomplish His work through the fruit of the Spirit. And when I look at the landscape of the last four or five years, there is a deep need for the world to see Christians at the Christ level. I mean, what is an angry Christian? Is there such a thing? What is a hateful Christian? Is there such a thing? What is a, a Christian that's ready to fight or ready to argue or ready to take someone else's life that may disagree with him or her? And the world is beginning to be molded. I saw a, a, a little statement one day, and it really shook me. I was trying to find it. I couldn't find it, but maybe, maybe you've seen it too. It was a little cartoon, and the mother was speaking to her little son who was struggling with his anger, and she says, you need to stop that or else you're going to become an evangelical. And I thought, what? And that is the way the world is beginning to see the Christian, as angry, hostile, controlling, recalcitrant, ready to fight, all in the name of God, but God has nothing to do with it. And that's why Matthew, the converted tax collector, said to us in Matthew 7, verse 20, this small statement that really is going to be the evidence as to whether or not we are connected to the vine. He says, therefore, by their what? By their fruits, you will know them. And as I began to sit down, being blessed every night by what I heard from each of the presenters, I realized that sometimes obscure lessons, hidden lessons are often obvious, but they're in hidden places. And this week, the Lord tapped me on my head on something. I like to do Google searches. Anybody has ever searched on Google before? I've searched on Google many times. And I thought to myself, how many times do people search on Google a day? And, and Moses, I came to find out that Google processes approximately 63,000 searches every second. They approximated, on average, 5.6 billion searches per day. And Brandon, 2 trillion global searches a year. And I leaned back in my I leaned back in my chair as I was working on my sermon to say, I cannot believe that number. It's astronomical. But then the Lord came to me with the question, imagine how many searches the Lord conducts every day. 63,000? 5.6 billion? And that connection, I just couldn't get away from it. That the Lord is searching and has been searching much longer and more intently than Google can ever search. And he's looking for fruit. By their fruits, you will know them. And then when that thought came to my mind, the, all of a sudden the Bible became alive again. In Jeremiah 17, verse 10, this passage reminded me of the desire for God to find something. And he's searching the lives and hearts and minds of men. Jeremiah 17, 10, he says, I, the Lord, 
search the heart. What does he show his friend? He searches the heart. And then he says, what else? I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according, get this, to the fruit of his doing. And then I made the connection, Ron, while people are searching Google, God is searching us. He's searching us, looking for something. And then I came up with the other statistic about Google. This one startled me because I thought Google had everything. I thought Google had answers to everything. But I realized that Google also encountered users conducting searches coming up with this caption, no results. And I thought, if it's not on Google, maybe it's on Yahoo. But Google reported that when the, when the searcher comes up with a no results result, they say the reason is, the main reason is, they are searching for something that just doesn't exist. And what could you possibly search for on Google that just doesn't exist? I don't know. But then the question came to me when I read Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 13 and verse 6. Look at this. Searching for things that just doesn't exist. And when I read Luke 13, verse 6, I realized Jesus experienced the same thing when he was conducting his search. This, by the way, will be the main focus of the message. Luke chapter 13, verses 6 to 9. He also spoke this parable. This is the unfinished parable. He said, a certain man had a what? Had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found what? And found none. Now, when I read that passage, I thought to myself, the Lord is not conducting a gift search. He's conducting a fruit search. He's not looking for good singers. There are, there are good singers left, right, and center. There are good musicians left, right, and center. They're everywhere. There are musicians that can get you to cry in two seconds. There are singers that can break your heart in less than a minute. But I've learned that that is not what the Lord was searching for. He was seeking for fruit and he found none. And I asked myself the question, how many times has God looked in my life and didn't find what he was looking for? And that was the impetus for this week. And it wasn't getting connected to the vine. It was get connected to the vine so that when we get connected and the Lord begins to look he can find what he's looking for he also reminded me that heaven's admission is not based on our talents but being admitted to heaven is based on our character heaven is not heaven is not searching for those who can sing good and preach good and teach good and that's humbling to me because I love to preach I love to sing but I was reminded that not one of the 2,000 plus sermons that I have can get me to heaven. Not one of them. Not one of the songs that I have in my 800 song library can get me to heaven. The Lord is not looking for a new song in John's library. He's looking for fruit in John's life. In my life. He's looking for fruit in our lives. And that's a humbling thing for us. Because too often we are identified as people with solid doctrines. 
But such was the case in the days of Christ. The church had solid doctrines. Let me get a little deeper here. You can know the 2300 days inside out, Leon, and still be lost. You can explain the mark of the beast, the seal of God, the three angels' messages, and still not make the kingdom. There are those that are insanely intelligent as it relates to Scripture. But they are also divinely disconnected because they have a knowledge without a connection. Heaven is searching for representatives of God's ability. They are not searching for representatives of man's ability. And look at how intent God is searching. Look at 2 Corinthians, 2, 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9. God is searching. God is searching. And that search is going on even as we sit in church today. That search is being conducted even now. Look at what we are told in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9. The Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout how much? The whole earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. When I read that passage, I came to the conclusion that God promises to impart strength to those who are loyal to him. And my brethren, who can we be loyal to that can bless us better than God? But here's the problem, Ron. Little emphasis is placed on the fruit of the Spirit, and too much emphasis is placed on the gift of the Spirit. I'll say that again. Little emphasis in the Christian world is placed on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, patience, whatever the translation may be. So much is placed on the gift. How well can you sing? There are churches that want the gift of speaking in tongues. There are those that want the gift of healing. But how many say, I want the gift of being a loving individual? I want to be kind. I want to be compassionate. I want to be tenderhearted. I want to be the kind of person that when the world looks for a Christian, I want that person to be in my life. I want them to look into my heart and begin to see what God is displaying that I have nothing to do with. Did you know that? You have nothing to do with it. All you got to do is, say it with me, get connected to the vine. We don't produce fruit. God does. We've just got to do what? Say it again. Get connected to the vine. It seems so simple. Somebody might say, is it that simple? Believe me, brethren, when you are connected, people are going to see it. People are going to see it. I was in Pizza Hut on Thursday. I shared this with my Sabbath school class. And I had on my suit because I was on my way to church right after we picked up the pizza. If you missed this week, you could have had pizza every night. <laughs> Whether that's what you wanted or not. But I was sitting in Pizza Hut and a gentleman turned around, an older Caucasian gentleman, and said to me as he had on his mask, he said, you look really professional, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. 
He said, where is your church? I said, in Thompsonville. He said, I live out there. I said, well, you need to come and be our guest. He said, oh, well, I go to church on Sunday. I said, well, all the more. We go on Saturday. <laughs> and uh, kind of eliminated his excuse. I think, I, why do you do that? He said, well, because, and I talked about the creation story. He said, but, but isn't Sunday the right day? I said, no, it's a tradition. And we talked a little longer. He said, interesting. Where's that again? I said, and, oh, I read a book by Mr. Shelton, he said. I said, so you know where it is. Come and be our guest. And you know, brethren, we as a church, we pride ourselves in material. You know, we got books. We've got commentaries. We've got websites. We've got more information, I think, than most denominations on the planet uh, collectively. But none of that information can get us to the kingdom if we don't have the fruit of God's spirit in our lives. None of that information. So what am I saying? When you meet Christians, rather than immediately arguing with them about what day they go to church on, try a different approach. Let them see the presence of Christ in your life that they would even be attractive to want to talk to you and to want to continue the conversation. Because we can win arguments but we could lose people. God wants us to be able to win people and let the Spirit of God do the arguing. Can you say amen? What are the characteristics that the world is in need of? We see today that ability is preferred above character. Can you sing well? Then you can be a part of the program. What would happen if we began to select people not based on their gifts, but based on their fruit? How many people would occupy offices in church? I had an elder in one of my churches in, uh, I won't be specific, because he's still alive. <laughs> but we're on better terms now. But um, he had great ability. He ran the sound. I'm not talking about this church. He ran the sound. He did tape dupl duplication. He was hands-on. He made sure I had everything I needed. And I went out of town to do an evangelistic series. Uh, and when I came back, man, I had, I had complaints flying from the left and right and center. So many women came up to me and told me how he offended them. He told them off. You know, they'd come after church and say, I need a copy of that sermon. He'd say, you got to wait. And he was just rude. And, and the complaints were just coming from every direction. And I, I thought it was just a few and then my wife confirmed it. He told me off too. And I said, what? And I called my head elder, who at the time was Dick Hutchinson. Actually, yeah, one of my elders, it was Dick Hutchinson, was the head elder. And I, this, this gentleman I'm referring to was old enough to be my father. And then some. And at the church, I took him to the church office. And I said, brother... You, you can't be an elder in this church right now. And the first question he asked me was, well, then who's going to run the sound? I said, brother, God is not looking for your ability. He's looking for your fruit. And you need to back out a little bit. And he took six months. And at the end of the six months, he said to me, you know, pastor, that was the best time of my life. 
Because I actually came to church with nothing to do but soak up the word. And when we left that church, I still have in our home uh, a streetcar, a San Francisco streetcar. He inscribed on it his love for my wife and me that his wife and he gave to us. And it's been a while since we've spoken, but every time I speak to him, he always reminds me, he said, Pastor, thank you for taking me out of the office until I was fit to hold that position. And when he got back into that position, people were able to approach him and know that he does not have a knife in his back pocket this Sabbath morning. He did not eat hot pepper before the board meetings because I would always be able to tell when he ate hot pepper for dinner. He was from a West Indian country, Spanish West Indian country, and he would be cantankerous at the board meetings. We don't have those kind of board meetings here. Can my board members say amen? We have good board meetings, but he was hot under the collar at the board meetings. And I'd say, brother, did you have pepper tonight in your dinner? And he'd smile and say, pastor, how did you know? Because you are just off the chain. God is not looking for ability. God is looking for character. Now let's look at our our main scripture for the week. Let's look at the character. These are the things that the Lord is searching for in the world. Here they are. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And I'd like us to read that together. I want this to be seared in our mind. Every night this scripture has been presented. But I don't want it to be a scripture that we just get to know But I want us to begin to pray, Father, allow that fruit to display all those characteristics in my life. And before you read it, this is not a list that you pick from. This is a single fruit that shows all those characteristics. Right, Ian? Right, Eric? Right, Luis? This single fruit reveals all those characteristics in the individual's life. Let's read it together. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is what? No law. So Christians can't look at this and say, well, this was nailed to the cross. This was not nailed to the cross because this is not connected to any law. And I cannot imagine a Christian going to jail to serve time for being too loving. What are you being accused of? You're serving five years for being too kind. You have a double life sentence for being too long-suffering. There's no law against these fruit. A.T. Dozier said, We cannot pray in love and live in hate and think we are worshiping God. We cannot pray in love and live in hate and think we are worshiping God. Boy, I sure that, that fits into the, the Christian environment today. I was, I was struggling over the next one I'm going to share with you. I saw this other saying. <laughs> I told my wife this this morning. Okay, I'll share it with you. You want, you want it? Okay, great. Thank you for the rounding the, the abundant uh, affirmation that you want to hear it. Praise the Lord. I'm going to tell you. Thank you, Brandon. I think he was a little overboard there, but I, I got the point. It says, um, Facebook 
never raised the dead and restored sight to the blind, but it, it, but it has allowed the dumb to speak. Facebook never raised the dead or gave sight to the blind, but it has allowed the dumb to speak. If Christians would only understand that what they say on Facebook, they would have to face in the judgment. Every idle word that men speak, they'll give an account in the judgment. We were in Michigan one evening. I was so angry that I saw my church members arguing with each other on Facebook. Not ethereal church, my church members arguing with each other on Facebook. I called, I picked up my phone and I told, I called each one that I saw arguing with the other on Facebook and I said, would you please go on Facebook and delete that? You are putting Thompsonville in a horrible light. Arguing over politics on Facebook. And they were not kind. And what made it worse is that These were not people that were unknown. These were known personalities. And I said, brethren, and I called these people, three or four of them, I said, please, please go delete that from Facebook now. But the sad reality is sometimes the things we put on Facebook has already been shared. It takes up its own wings and fly away. I thought to myself, wow, how can we pray in love and live in hate and think that we are worshiping God? The greatest search of the kingdom is that there is a, there is a preparatory search. What did I just say? There is a preparatory search taking place. Heaven is looking. Heaven is looking to see who is going to be fit to live in the presence of holy perfect beings. Let's broaden that. I can imagine the unfallen worlds, if this was possible, I've heard maybe it is possible, if it's possible for the unfallen worlds to watch us on DTV, divine television, and look at the way we behave and say to Jesus, are you sure you want Donald in heaven? I'm just picking on Donald. No, no, no. Are you sure you want that person in heaven? And I love it that Jesus stands up and say, I'm not finished with them yet. Yeah. Amen. Amen, church. Yeah. I'm not finished with them yet. You know, we, we get excited when we go to the museum and we see those beautiful marble structures, but we didn't see it when it was a big old clump of marble. Nobody would have purchased it. We get excited about those $3,000 tables that we buy that are solid oak, but we didn't see it when that tree just got cut down. Brethren, the Lord saw us in our unfinished, raw condition, and he says with beauty in his heart, I could do a whole lot with that individual 
yet they would simply submit themselves to me. That's what you saw this week, God working through the lives of all these speakers, never knowing that God has for every one of us this, this ideal. But we must not allow the elements around us to cause divine frustration as we're going to read now in Luke chapter 13 and verse 7. There's a preparatory search for those who will be fit to abide in the presence of holy beings. But there's a sad commentary in Luke chapter 13 and verse 7. Look at it with me. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? When I read the history behind this story, Bible commentators said that Jesus, looking at Israel and recognizing that certain fruit only show up certain times of the year, he came off season to try to find these fruit in his people. And their excuse was, it's not that time of year yet, so you won't find them. But his search was far deeper than looking for the fruit like pomegranates and whatever the fruits were that grow in the Middle East. It was far deeper than looking for figs and pomegranates and, and apples and all these very varied fruits that would show up in that region. He came looking for something other than what they thought and that's why they were saying, the reason why you don't find it is it's not the time of the year yet for those fruits to come out on the tree. But Jesus said to the leaders, I'm not looking for fruit on trees. I'm looking for fruit in your life. Now let me make the application. It's probably easier to be a good Christian on Sabbath morning. But what kind of Christian are you? On Monday morning. So funny this week when Louise talked about an impatient floor director. <laughs> I couldn't miss that one. It takes a whole lot when you are living in the vortex of 3ABN. Can, can I get some amens from the 3ABN folk? Because it's a vortex. I remember I was in, <laughs> oh, hey, no, I was in Benton. When I got a call on Wednesday, they said, Pastor, you are on the 2 o'clock program. Where are you? I'm in Benton. I have on jeans. I'll be there. And I prayed for all my police friends to go to lunch. <laughs> I got there at 2.03. I said, I said, uh, 21 minutes ago, I was in Benton with jeans on. How's this? I'm 21 minutes later, here I am with a suit and I'm ready to go. It's a different story when we're not in the building. Come on, say amen, somebody. When you don't come to church on Sabbath morning, it's a different story. We come to church on Sabbath morning, you know, like somebody said, I could not forget that story that Ricky Carter told about that guy that was climbing down the tree and he wanted to keep it and he, he tied apples on the tree and the father said what's even more amazing as this this apple this pear tree is producing apples some of us tie on the fruits on sabbath morning 
and take them off on Monday morning. I'm not going to ask family members to give me any amens. Because you know in your house, this is not always that easy. Different personalities, different attitudes, different opinions. You know, sometimes a husband knows the wife so well that instead of saying, yes, dear, he said, you know what I mean. The way that you can tell you are growing is when the people that you know best, you treat them best. That's why these, these, when you're in the mall and when you're in Walmart and you're nice to people, you say, hi, how are you? And they go, and say, what a nice person. And they go home and slam the door. Honey, go get the groceries. I'm tired. I'm going to the bathroom. What? I ain't going to get no groceries. You get it yourself. The people that we know best will be the greatest point of reference as to the kind of person we are. Somebody called one day to the house and I saw my wife looking at me, smiling like this, and I'm thinking, oh, well, who's she talking to? Then I heard her say, what you see on television is who he is at home. He's the same guy. And I said, who are you talking to? Somebody that, and I'm not praising myself, it's, I'm still growing. I think some of you know that. But I have prayed as a pastor, not to be offensive to anybody. I've been put on the spot on Sabbath morning. Never forgot, never forgot that communion experience. I've seen things happen that I, could, I had the authority and the right to say, you need to back down. And sometimes I've said that. And later on I've... not have come from your mouth. And sometimes I've felt like saying even more, you know, you ever argue and tell your spouse what you should have said? What I should have said was, next time when I see that person, that's what I'm going to say. And then you're ready for the argument the next time you see them and the Lord says, ah, Stop right there, because what you say will not be forgotten for a long time. So I'm not just talking to you. I'm talking to you as a growing pastor. I've said to some of my leaders, no, 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 you, 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 can't, you can't talk to people that way. You, you, no, you can't do that, because you're representing the Lord first. And the unfortunate thing that the devil does is when Christians behave badly, he labels the whole church. That's how those folk over there in that church are. One person becomes the reference point for the whole church. That's how those Adventists are, just like that. And that's not the case. Can somebody say amen? So the vineyard represents, as Isaiah 5, verse 7, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. 
So when the Lord came looking, this venue today is synonymous to the church. The Lord is looking at the church and he's asking the question that we read in Isaiah 5 and verse 4. Look at the question the Lord is asking. This question is going to come out to us as clear as day if we miss the kingdom. This is the question that's going to jump out at us. Isaiah 5 and verse 4. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? What more could God have done for you that he hasn't done yet? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? There's some wild Christians in here. I'm looking down at the floor. I'm not looking in any direction. There's some wild Christians. You make certain requests, you see them. No. But if you're not planted in the word of God, you will not grow. We cannot reveal the fruit of God's word if we're not reading the word of God. We cannot reveal the fruit that our roots are connected to if we're living in shallow ground. We cannot reveal the fruit if we're not watering them every day. We cannot reveal the fruit if we are planting our lives in the wrong pot. We've got to be connected to the vine. Jesus said in John 15, 5, what does he say to the church? What does he say to us today? I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears how much? Much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. It's tough when the arguments are high. I have this book called Crucial Conversations. And I've often said it's the book that every Christian should read, including me. Crucial Conversations. The only time that you shouldn't read that book, Crucial Conversations, is if you live on an island by yourself. But if any of you have ever been in the, in the arena of conversations, when people meet at the intersection and they don't agree with your opinions, and you don't agree with their opinions, and all of a sudden all of your, the opinions get more determined, they get louder, they get more pressing, and then you realize maybe at three or four days down the road, wow, that wasn't good. That, that, was, that was horrible. That was terrible. How do I fix that? And then you realize we're all in the same boat together. We are all in the same boat together. You see, Adventists, doctrinal, doctrinal connections inform us, but Jesus' connections transform us. We're very, we're very well informed as a church, but some of the things that I see that happens at levels of, and I praise God that some of you are not, it takes a mature Christian, it takes a mature Christian to be in high offices in the Seventh-day Adventist church. To be in the General Conference, to be in the North American Division, to understand the level of politics that is discussed, to realize that this church is on every continent and when they get a general conference session together, one president has to satisfy the opinions of those in Africa, in the Philippines, in Australia, in New Guinea, in France, and in Germany, and England. And you know what, friends? It's impossible. That's why whenever I see Elder Wilson, I say to him, I am praying for you, Elder Wilson. Because <laughs> I've seen people chew that man up, speak badly about him, try to destroy his character, and I've seen nothing but a humble servant of God. 
And there's some that said, I'll never listen to them again. I want to vote them out of office. Brethren, that cannot be so. We must come to the conclusion, as we've said about certain presidents, if they are there, God put them there. We gotta, we'll ask God later why. But do like David. Touch not the Lord's anointed. And do my prophets no harm. Let God fix those things that are broken. If your past need to be fixed, you can't fix me and I can't fix you, but God can fix both of us. Amen. The keeper of the vineyard was frustrated. Verse 7, he was frustrated. He said these words in verse 8. But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also. I love that passage. I dig around it and fertilize it. Let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Let me, let me, let me, let me bring this out to you clearly. Dig around it. Those three words, Wayne, just really kind of scratch my forehead. Dig around it. What does dig around it mean? What the Lord revealed to me is the Lord will clear the distractions that interfere with our connection. He's going to dig around it. One of the reasons why you never get to the place where you can enjoy the things that God has not authorized in your life, he's trying to dig around you to make sure that nothing interferes your connection with him because more than anything else, God is not interested in your temporal satisfaction but your eternal fitness. He's going to dig around it. He's going to remove the things that prevent our growth. He's going to confiscate the things that rob us of spiritual nourishment. He's going to dig around it. He's going to dig around it. And I want to tell you, in my time here, the Lord has been digging around me. I can't even tell you how. I'm just praying that the fruit are becoming more obvious now than they used to be. Let's look at these fruit individually. Years ago, Tina Turner sang a song, Love is Nothing But a Secondhand Emotion. No, it's not. Love is the highest revelation of God. Love is not a secondhand emotion. Love is the highest revelation of God. Joy is not the product of a frivolous night. Joy is the assurance of an inevitable morning. Things may not be going well. Weeping may endure for the night, but together, joy will come in the morning. Joy is the assurance of an inevitable morning. It may get tough, but why did Paul and Silas sing hymns in prison at midnight? Not because they had good food, not because they had a posturepedic mattress, but they said, hey, it's so good to know that Jesus is in here with us. Why do the, why do the three Hebrew worthies decide, I don't mind going to the furnace because Jesus is already there waiting for us to join him. Can I say that again? We think that Jesus joins us in the furnace. No, we join him in the furnace. We participate in his suffering. Peace, as Ian pointed out, is not freedom from disturbances, but the insurance of tranquility amid those disturbances. You can have peace when things are not going well. Peace is not freedom from disturbances, but it's the insurance 
of having a calm spirit during those disturbances. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. It's not going well, but don't lose it. You can have peace in the midst of the storm because it's not the kind of peace the world gives. It's the kind of peace that only can found, be found in Christ. What is long-suffering? Long-suffering is not an assignment of a life that will be filled with nothing but suffering, but the divine pledge that no matter what we suffer, God will be with us. You ever suffered for long? Well, the verse is not about how long you suffer. The verse is about how long you are willing to suffer for others. Not how long you suffer, but how long are you willing to suffer for the good of others? Kindness, kindness reveals, and I looked at the Greek, reveals selfless, compassionate mercy that shows our enemies and the least of these that we are still children of God. When you can love the person that you never liked or reach out to the person that did you wrong and show them that you are still a son or a daughter of God, that is kindness. Jesus was kind. We ought to also be kind. What is goodness? Goodness is not merely moral behavior. This one really caught my attention. Goodness is not merely moral behavior, but an excellence of character. The evidence that reflecting Christ is higher in my priority than revealing myself. Goodness. You ever felt like not being good? You've had an argument that you just held on to. I don't really care what anybody thinks. I had a lady walk into one of our churches, not this one. I've had some really good experiences here. I'm, I'm telling you about all my bad stories in my former churches. But I had a lady walk to church one Sabbath morning in one of my churches, I think the second or third one, and, and she just had the look on her face like, it was, it's not going to be a good day. And I said, happy Sabbath. She said, don't say that to me. I'm angry, and I'm going to be angry. So don't try to change my mind. I want to say, you need to turn around and go home. But I let her come on in, and by the end of the service, she had let it go. I had another lady in church that brought a baseball bat to church to beat up one of the deacons. And she named the deacon that she was going to beat up. And that deacon, all service long, he had two other deacons protecting him. I tell you the truth. I didn't say to her, go home. But when she, when she told me in the foray between Sabbath school and church who she was going to beat up, she brought a little Louisville slugger to church to beat up the deacon. And I said, Lord, I said, can I pray with you? Father in heaven, please chase this spirit out of here. I didn't say chase her out of here. I said chase the spirit out of here. Well, she went to the car and put her bat away, came back to church without the bat. But I want to tell you that deacon still had those other two deacons protecting him all service long. That's not the behavior of Christians. But goodness is reflected to those that we like and we don't like. Faithfulness springs forth from trust and loyalty. It is a dependability to our earthly relationships and an unwavering submission to being holy in the presence of God. 
faithfulness. Who are you when nobody is watching is what faithfulness is all about. What is gentleness? I love this one, the way the Greek defines it. Gentleness occurs with the exercise of care and respect in the way we treat, act, and speak to other people. Think about that. After church today, think about that when somebody may bring up a topic you don't want to talk about. Gentleness, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Gentleness occurs when we exercise care and respect in the way that we treat, act, and speak to others. And then finally, self-control. This one was the, probably the most prominent one. Self-control allows us to keep our minds focused on God, avoiding the temptations of our desires. Self-control. Have you ever been tempted? Nah. Have you? <laughs> we all have. But the temptation is not stronger than the God we serve. Self-control says, oh, I remember how that taste, how it feels, how it smells, what it makes me feel like. But no, I ain't doing it. One, one, one book writer, I have a book called 21 Days. It's a 21-day guide for men to read 21. They said, if, you tempt, if you're tempted with anything, in 21 days you can break that temptation. Do you know how difficult it is for willpower to try to do nothing for 21 days? But do you know how easy it is for God to do it for you and not for yourself? They said, just count to 10. If the temptation comes, they said, count to 10. Some say count back from 99, 98. 98. And they said, by the time you get to one, the temptation will be gone. No, that just means you had 99 seconds longer before you yielded to the temptation. Because you're trying it on your own. But when the Lord is the one working through you, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. So when the temptation comes, as somebody once said, when the devil rings the doorbell, send God to the door to answer it. Temptation. I'm so glad to know that there are certain things that were once temptations for me that don't even faze me now. Can anybody else say amen to that? There are certain things that may have been a great temptation in your life, that the devil said, ah, forget it. I'll go someplace else. You know, the devil will change your address. He, he will change his attacks towards you. You know that? When you receive victory, the devil will stop messing with you. Do you believe that? The Bible says that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible says that. When he sees that messing with you, Mary Kay, is not working, he said, I'm done. Wasting my time ringing Mary's doorbell. I'm going to somebody else's house. Resist him. He will flee from us. But when I wind up, as I wind up, I want to share some quotations with you that are powerful that will really show you why the Lord is saying this year also. Here's one of them. And I want you to grab this because you've never seen this before. It's going to revolutionize the way you think about trials and difficulty. Ministry of Healing. We were studying our Bibles together, and my wife and I have the remnant Bibles. If you have the remnant Bibles, you can go to Isaiah 48, and you'll see that big blue box at the bottom of the page called The Purpose of Trials. I want you to hear this carefully because this is going to help you understand why you still face difficulty. These are my closing quotes. 
Ministry of Healing, page 470, paragraph 2. Many who sincerely consecrate their lives to God's service are surprised and disappointed to find themselves as never before confronted by obstacles and beset by trials and perplexities. Wow. They pray for Christ's likeness of character, for a fitness for the Lord's work. And look what happens. Look what happens. And they are placed in circumstances that seem to call forth all the evil of their nature. Lord, have mercy. And by the way, when you see what happens, you'll be even more surprised. Faults are revealed of which they did not even suspect the existence. Never even thought I was like that. Never even thought that was in me. Where did that come from? Like Israel of old, they question, if God is leading us, why do all these things come upon us? Now let's go to the next quotation. Ministry of Healing, page 470, paragraph 3. Before I read this, I want you to know that these occurrences are not incidental. God is appointing them. Look at this. It is because God is leading them that these things come upon them. Doesn't that seem strange? It is because God is leading them that these, thi that these things come upon them. Trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods of discipline and his appointed conditions of success. He who read the hearts, he who read the hearts of men know their characters better than they themselves know them. He sees that some have powers and susceptibilities which rightly directed might be used in the advancement of his work. Are you ready for the next part? This is going to get deeper. Same book, page 471, paragraph 1. In his providence, he brings these people, these persons, into different positions and varied circumstances that, may, that they may discover in their character the defects which have been concealed from their own knowledge. They didn't even know it was there. It was concealed. But he brought them in a situation. He brought them in front of somebody who just could argue just as good as they can. He, he allowed somebody to confront them that didn't like them and they didn't like each other. He said, aha, now let me see how you're going to deal with it. He brought circumstances to them that drew out the worst in them. He led them in there. Look at the rest of this. He gives them opportunity to do what? Correct these defects and to fit themselves for his service. Often he permits the fires of affliction to assail them that they may be what? Purified. So these things that we are experiencing are not arbitrary incidences. God says, you need a trial right now. And he'll take you to a hot furnace, heat it up, 
just to see how you deal with it. And when you see yourself in a way that you don't like it, he'll say, fix it. But here's the last part. Just when you thought it was done. Ministry of Healing 471, paragraph 2. The fact that we are called upon to endure trial show that the Lord sees in us something, what is the next word? Precious, which he desires to develop. If he saw in us nothing whereby he might glorify his name, he would not spend time in refining us. Isn't that powerful? I need to put Tracy in the oven this week. I'm not telling God to do that, but he just might. And I need to put Jason Bradley in the furnace. And while the flames are lapping, God is burning away everything that doesn't resemble him so that Jason can come out as pure gold. You see, that's why the Bible says, God says this year also, when the command was given to cut it down, he said, this year also. So what is Christ waiting for? My closing quotation. What is Jesus waiting for? Look at Christ's object lesson. And this is why the devil fights with your natural tendencies so badly. This is why he doesn't want the character of Christ to be revealed. This is why he wants to cut down your tree, disconnect you from Christ so that the fruit will bear nothing that resembles Jesus. What is Christ waiting for? Christ Object Lesson, page 69, paragraph 1. Christ is waiting with what, my brethren? Longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. Why does the devil fight so hard on us? He wants to keep delaying the coming of the Lord because he knows that once the character of Jesus shows up in Thompsonville, once the church members start reflecting the glory of God, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, patience, once these things begin to show up in the members of this church, the Lord is saying, I can come and claim them as my own. Yeah, we got the good doctrines, but we will not get to heaven on good doctrines. We will only get to heaven on good fruit. Amen. So today I want to make an appeal. I want to make an appeal because according to the story, the gardener came three years in a row looking and he didn't find anything. Three years in a row. And he didn't find anything. How many years has the Lord been coming to you not finding anything? Because we've been in the way. Today I'm going to make an appeal to you. And as I sing this closing song, this appeal requires an action on your part today. If there's somebody here today that is going to say, Father, I want your fruit to be revealed in my life. I want it to be clear and evident, not just Sabbath morning, but when I go to work, when I talk to my husband, when I speak to my wife, when I even discipline my children, I want them to see the love of Christ 
that long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the, the gentleness, the self-control. I want this all to be displayed in the store when I walk in. When the thing that I came to pick up is no longer available, I want to display the kind of character that will give God the glory. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for you. But if it's your desire to fulfill the most earnest desire of Jesus, as I sing the song, would you come forward and I want to pray with you this morning. I want us to make this altar a place of prayer where we can say, Father, I want you to really live out your life within me. He's been waiting. This morning as I close with this song, if it's your desire to be that vessel through which Christ will be displayed, answer that prayer request this morning. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him come in? There's nothing in this world to keep you apart. So what is your answer to him? Time after time he has waited before and now he is waiting again to see you're willing to open that door oh how he wants to come in it's just simple just take a step toward the Savior and he'll do the rest if you'll take one step Toward the Savior, my friend, you'll find his arms open wide. Receive him and all of your darkness will end within your heart he'll abide for time after time he has waited before and now he is waiting again to see if we're willing to open the door oh how he wants to come in oh how he wants to come in so I 
Don't you let him come in. Our Father in heaven, time after time, You've been going to the vineyard of the Lord's house, to Thompsonville, West Frankfurt, Marion. You've been going from town to town, city to city, state to state, country to country, examining the hearts of those to claim, that claim to be connected to you. And you found a discrepancy. The absence of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness patience, self-control was evidence that somebody was not connected. And you left there and went to another location seeking year after year. When will my children reveal the evidence that I'm in their hearts? Lord, you have so many plans for our lives, but you will not put us on display to be a disappointment to your holy name. You will not light this candle and put it on a hill if the only purpose of its light is to glorify self. You will not give a mission to a person to reach to the lost and dying if they can't stand the scent of the lost, if they can't embrace the broken framework and lives and the sins of those who don't know you. You want to send us to those who don't understand what it means to be loved, what it means to have joy, what it means to find peace, and the world is dying for that. And Father, I pray that you won't say to Thompsonville, I need one more year. But this will be the year when the men and the women the young men, the young women, the children, the adults, the leaders, me, Lord, the pastor. You'll be able to say, go to that church. I've got some really good fruit in that congregation. Help us to examine our own lives. How do we speak to our spouses? Are we patient with them? Do our children love to come to us when they have failed. If a leader fails, can he come to other leaders to ask to be upheld in his frailty and her frailty? Can the church be a place of healing and compassion? Is this a house where doctrinal correctness has closed our eyes to human frailty? And we are so good that we can't stand those who are just so bad. But Lord, you've been patient with us. Transform our lives. Take the thing we call religion and make it Christianity. Take the thing we call doctrines and turn them into fruit that we can go forth and people seeing us come will say, this is that young man I told you about. This is that young lady. This is that elder, deacon, deaconess, this is that church member that I, I had a conversation with last week. They will show you who Jesus is 
That's our greatest need. Thank you for reminding us night after night, get connected to the vine. Get connected to the vine. So when we leave this place today, Father, may that be our determined sole purpose, not to be the best teacher, but to be the best fruit-bearing Christian. And then everything else will come as the world needs to see us. Thank you, Lord, for being patient. Thank you for digging around the things that distract us. Thank you for uprooting the distractions in our lives. Thank you even for the trials that reveal to us how cancerous we were internally, how unlike you we were on so many occasions. And now that you've shown us us, show us you. Fill us. We've opened the door today. Come in. Start working. Change us. Make us like Jesus. So that when we see you, it will not be a strange epiphany, but we will say, we are finally like him, and we see him as he is. This is my prayer as a pastor. May this be the prayer of our membership. May we grow to be like you, and may all the glory go to you alone. I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.